Welcome to the Habits of Leadership podcast, brought to you by Cut Through Coaching, helping leaders and their teams to thrive, professionally and personally. Hello and welcome to episode 44 of the Habits of Leadership podcast. My name is Dan Hasler from Cut Through Coaching and joining me today is Mr. Tim Perkins. How are you, sir? I'm very well, Dan. Beautiful day in Sydney today. It is indeed. How, uh, how are you? Yeah, not too bad, mate. Not too bad. Pretty excited at the uh, rolling out and opening up enrolments, should I say, for the uh, Habits of Leadership Academy. Yeah. Um, bringing people together. Got a lot from New Zealand, actually, as it turns out, uh, joining in and people from different, um, I guess, uh, sectors as well, which has been quite uh, interesting to see and we're just sort of getting to the point now where we're rounding out uh, the enrollments there so if people are keen to see what the academy is all about and and how they can work with us monthly um, you know in in small groups exploring issues like emotional intelligence leading other people leading change then you know just head over to habitsofleadership.com and click on the academy page and it's all there for you. So sometimes when I listen to a podcast, Dan, I hear an announcement like that and I think that's not for me. It must just mm. be for the in crowd somehow. But I would say if you're listening to this podcast, you are in the in crowd. Let me be clear. Yeah. I am speaking to you. <laughs> and I can see you. <laughs> <laughs> so what are we talking about today? And more importantly, who are we talking to today? Well, we have just finished a chat. Uh, with Chris Lawrence. So Chris Lawrence, uh, for those not from the rugby league interest world, uh, was a professional athlete, rugby league player for the last 15 years with the the West Tigers, represented New South Wales and Australia and uh, as well as all of those sporting accolades, he's a top bloke. He's uh, he's a really nice fella. It's been lovely to spend the last couple of hours sitting here uh, with him and uh, Hearing about his stories, um, Chris went through some genuine adversity during his career, had two really horrifying uh, injuries, um, both of which were described as being like being in a car crash, so really significant injuries. And so we did a lot of talking around resilience and, and you know, responding to adversity. Mm. We also chatted, um, Chris has set up a, a company called One Solutions, and part of that is uh, One Wellbeing, which spends a lot of time uh, helping elite athletes engage more in education and, and look at different pathways for um, athletes to be able to continue learning outside of um, of their sport, which also ties in with something that we, we spent a fair bit of time talking about, which was having more than just your sport or, you know, anyone listening to this, you don't need to be a sports person to uh, really resonate with this. The idea of having, you are more than what you do. Mm. And so being able to uh, provide a space where people can explore that and, and essentially have more perspective on life. And, and so it was really interesting to hear about how that work is really uh, helping um, athletes of all ages and in, in all different sports uh, really, I guess, you know, develop not just their sporting ability, but also um, as people. Yeah, absolutely. And one of, one of the things that Chris said that I really um, liked and resonated with me as, as we were talking about the development of resilience um, for anybody in the community, he was talking about the positive message and the wisdom that comes out of adversity which, you know, when you're, when you're in the well of adversity at the time, you very possibly can't see. Um, but looking back, what, what are the learnings from that adversity, those, those challenges that I've been through as a way of developing my resilience, which, you know, we're very interested in doing. Indeed. All right. Well, why don't we uh, just press play and, and listen to the chat? It's a real pleasure to have Chris Lawrence with us today on the podcast and uh, with, uh, with my partner in crime, Dan Hasler, here, the three of us sitting around in my 
lounge room having a chat, which is very nice. And Chris, as most of our listeners will know, was uh, a schoolboy and plucked from his uh, the middle of his school exams in Year 12 back in 2006 to have his rugby league debut with the Tigers and, uh, and a great debut it was too. We might explore that in a minute. Um, Chris has just retired after 15 years in the rugby league, uh, in the National Rugby League here in uh, Australia um, with the Tigers. But he's, interestingly as well, he's got another whole side career that's been running in parallel to his rugby league career as the founder and director of One Wellbeing, which uh, we're looking forward to chatting with you about today. Chris, so welcome. Thanks for having me, guys. I'm uh, very excited. I know it's been a long time in the ma- in the making. We've been back and forth <laughs> and haven't been able to line up our schedule. So it's finally uh, good to get on here. Yeah, it's great to have you on. And part of that part of that struggle was the idea that you were in a bubble and finishing off your rugby league career. So there's no uh, no pressure there at all. Now, um, we've just been having a bit of a chat. Now I believe your nickname is Rowdy. Is, is that a bit of Aussie irony? It is. Well, as you said, I've uh, a d- debut when I was 17 years of age, and I sort of yeah out of high school. Hadn't really trained much with the team at all. Um, played the of the rest of that year, then went away on school uh, Australian schoolboys. Um, the end of that year, so didn't train with the team, and then you know only, only really got a sort of month or two preseason in the following year, and and it was sort of in around then when I just actually started talking because I didn't really say a word because I was you know young bloke hadn't really I felt like I hadn't earned my stripes, hadn't earned the respect of the older players, so didn't really speak out of turn. And then when I just started, I suppose thinking, yep, I'm starting to earn my spot. Then everyone starts look, looking around and go, whoa, 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 pipe, pipe down, <laughs> remember that, pipe down, Rowdy. So I think it was Benny Galea, I'll, I'll give credit for Benny Galea, um, yeah. came out, came up with that um, nickname. Okay. It just, uh, it's just stuck, uh, it's stuck now. So Chris, um, tell us a bit about your rugby league career because um, for some of our listeners, they'll be into the rugby league, others perhaps are less familiar with it, but I suppose more from the position of, of professional sport. When you're such a young fella, I mean, as I was just discussing with you off air, you know, I've got a kid who now is in his final week of the HSC, exactly the same age as you were when you debuted uh, with the Tigers. A lot of responsibility around that. Were you always a a rugby league player? Did you play other sports as well? Um, Tell us a bit about who you were as a young fella. Yeah, I always wanted to play rugby league. Yeah, I, I love rugby league. Loved every sport, to be honest. I was a really active kid. Um, basically tried my hand at everything, but from a young age, um, you know, I, I always wanted to play rugby league. Um, watched it as often as I can. My, my dad played reserve grade for a couple of different clubs. Never, never sort of cracked at first grade, but um, rugby league sort of ran in the family. Uh, my sort of great grandfather and, and great uncles, and um, you know, had played for South a, a lot of um, first grade game for South back in the day. Okay. So it sort of ran in the family um but yeah loved a, a lot of other sports um did athletics did um, cricket um I, I pretty much tried out for every sport i could at school to, to get a day off school uh, impressed particularly in primary school so um yeah i just i just love being outside and uh, being active and um yeah, it was it was good at you know quite a number of sports but it was probably in around you know f- 14, 15 years of age where i thought you know like i really wanted to um, suppose concentrate uh, on rugby league and, and that was at the time when I was playing a bit of cricket and you know got uh, selected for some rep sides and, and same with athletics uh, and made uh, a couple of state teams and um, it was sort of all starting to clash because you know you get into an age with rugby league where you had to do a pre-season so that ran into the summer so all the summer sports mm. would sort of clash and as probably then I thought well no I've always loved rugby league I can you know I just want to play rugby league uh, the other sports were fun but I, I never really did it 
ultra competitively. I just did it as a lot of fun with mates um, and something I enjoy, but could never see a future in. Um, so yeah, was then sort of came through the junior system uh, out out at Campbelltown through West Magpies and, and playing uh, footy for St Greg's. Went to St Greg's College at Campbelltown, which has mm. produced quite a number of um, um, ru- you know great rugby league players. Um, and even sort of my first you know day there, you know, when I was in year seven, all you want to do when you first go there is play first grade for St Greg's. You don't even think about playing first grade yeah. NRL. It's it's such a huge honour, um, and the whole school gets behind the first grade team at St Greg's, and mm. you know it's a really big thing. So that's your, your one sort of dream. I want to you know do that, run through the the tunnel of the whole school and the whole school sitting on the hill and, and cheering you on, and um, and yeah, just sort of made my way through the sort of um, years there and. Um, through the grades and, and the junior uh, reps um, at at West Magpies and um, in my sort of under 17, I had a few injuries in sort of 16, 17s and, and in the back end um, coming into SG Ball um, in, in 2006, just started the year really well and, and that was a well when you're go- going from starting the year in, in sort of under 18s um, uh, and then from there got um, selected uh, at the end of that season, that was only a shortened season. Uh, into reserve grade, played sort of eight, nine weeks of reserve grade, and yeah, there was um, then then sort of got my shot at first grade just by mm-hmm. chance, but through injury and played the the rest of the end up playing the rest of your first grade. So it just it was yeah, it, it, within the space of four or five months, you know, things just change really quickly. Yeah, wow. So two thousand and six, your year twelve, you're seventeen years old. It must have been quite a surreal experience to be playing professional. So were you being paid in reserve grade, or or what what sort of money was happening in those uh, days? Yeah, well, I had a contract. I think it was a, it was a, I think a thousand dollar sign on, uh, yeah. or two thousand dollar sign on for for SG Ball, and then I think I got a bonus of a two hundred dollars or two hundred fifty dollars for every reserve grade game or something like that. Yeah, um, yeah. So yeah, it was basically just a, a standard, um, I suppose, um, under 18s contract for you know there, there was a handful, you know, six or seven of the guys that would have that. Um, who's they sort of earmarked, you know, in the next couple of years, we'll get you into the 20 system and then, and then through. And mm-hmm. uh, it was only, um, it was funny, after the under 20, after the under 18s um, comp finished, they picked, I think, five or six players. Um, those guys, are, you know, are, have contracts to go and train with the, the under 20s team. And at the time, the coach turned around and said to me, oh, look, and I was playing centre at the time, I oh, look, um, you know, the team's going really well, the centres are playing really well, I can't see you getting a run at all. Look, you know, all year you're happy to, you know, more than happy just to, you know, hang around and train and learn. But yeah, like when we're doing ball work stuff, just stand aside. So um, this was like the week after. I think that's what my coach used to say to me. Actually, just stand aside, Tim. Get out of the way. (laughs) Yeah, no, no worries. Oh, that's fine. No, no problem. So then I was standing there. I think the first or second training run, and the reserve grade coach came up to me. He goes, "What are you doing?" And I said, and told him what he said. And he's like, "I'll leave with me." Went away, came back five minutes later. He goes, come over here, you're playing reserve grade this week. Oh, so then yeah. went in reserve grade, yeah, played sort of 10 weeks reserve grade and then straight into first grade. So it was, um, and again, even with the first grade debut, it was, it, it wasn't really supposed to happen. I was only me and another younger guy, um, Tim Sheens at the time. He, he blooded younger guys really well. Um, he, he selected each year sort of two or three young guys to come and travel with the team. So if you have a game in Brisbane or, or an away trip um, to travel, stay uh, away the night with the team, just to sort of get a feel for what it's like to prepare for a game, day of the game, mm. and, and do those little things. So you sort of understand what it takes on game day to, to be a first grader. So I got, I got selected for that. But it was, yeah, two days before the game, um, Paul, Paul Fadawira went down with a hamstring injury uh, and all the, all the team, all the boys are worried. And 
Um, then he comes over, um, Tim Sheens comes over to me and goes, oh, it looks like you're in, kid. Uh, and it was like, like all, basically all of a sudden I'm in. So it was just a whirlwind because didn't have an NRL, NRL contract, um, wasn't 18, so couldn't sign by myself. Had to get, they quickly had to draft up a contract, had to get my dad home from work early to come and sign on my behalf because I wasn't 18. Um, and yeah, it was probably a blessing in disguise because I didn't really have any time to think of it, about it, get nervous. You know, I was basically signed the contract next day, flew out to Brisbane, it was not for a game, then played the game and, and flew back. So it was just, yeah, happened all of a sudden. Yeah, and scored a fantastic try, cleaning up a bloke who, uh, getting outside of a bloke who was well known at the time and probably yeah. a bit uh, disappointed to let a 17-year-old run past him. Yeah, it was, um, it was funny. Yet, um, before the game, uh, it was probably just before warm-up, and I started here in the crowd uh, at Suncorp and um, – and it was probably only half full at that, at that time. It was only probably 20,000. ended up being about 40,000 there that day, which was, it was just an unreal experience. But Tim Sheens comes up to me and tried to settle my nerves and said, look, don't be nervous. I picked you for a reason. If you get the chance um, during the game, just back yourself. You know, just don't second guess, just back yourself. And, yeah, there was th- – and that's what happened sort of, um, you know, 20 minutes in the game, one of the Broncos players fumbled the ball. Um, I think Dean Coles, our centre, picked it up, you know, just quick hands to me. And then I sort of – Running down the sideline, I see Sean Berrigan coming across, and and again it was that split second decision where like, oh, do I do take the safe option, and just step inside and just get tackled, or and then I just had that back yourself, back yourself yeah. in my head, so I just pinned the ears back and um, got around you on the outside and, and scored. And then when I scored, I didn't know what to do. I was like, oh, because it was the start, the start of the game. Inside, I was just fist pumping and cheering <laughs> and inside, and then. I was at the time thinking, oh, imagine all, all my mates at school. I go, they'll be going nuts. And anyway, I got all these things. And I just walk, walk back and just had no expression on my face. So I'm like, I don't want to carry on. And then we get beaten by 50. And then I look yeah, like yeah. a goose <laughs> for, for carrying on, um, scoring, you know, uh, one try if we get beaten 50 to 6 or something. Yeah, so yeah. I sort of, yeah, just walk back like nothing happened. So, um, and then we, yeah, we went on to win the game. So it was, yeah, pretty surreal experience. Nice humility. Um, tell me, because that leads in nicely into this sort of idea of confidence. Um, you're a young guy. You've been picked in all of these teams and rep rep positions as a cricketer, as a footy player, as a runner, as a young as a young fella. You know, 12, 13, 14, 15 years old at school. You're also you also did very well academically at school and got into university, etc. Tell me about confidence and how important you think confidence is for somebody, you know, starting off in a professional career like that. Because I, I'm, you know, we hear a lot of stories about people whose whole identity is tied into their skill, uh, and how that can unravel in a uncomfortable, you know, ugly way sometimes. Whereas you, you seem to have built up confidence across a number of areas. How, how do you think that's helped you, and how important is that for others? Yeah, look, I think confidence is massive. And to be honest, I don't think – I wouldn't have said I was an overly confident person. You know, I had a lot of doubts, a lot of fears and, you know, a lot of self-doubt that, you know, um, crept in a lot. Um, I think because – I think I had a, a lot of a fear of, of other people's opinions because I was good at different areas and certain things um, growing up. Then when obviously you start getting to that elite, elite level – everyone's either same on the same page as you or better than you. And mm. then when I'm playing up an age, I, I sort of would fear, you know, oh, what if I made a mistake? What if I failed? You know, what would people think of me? Because I'm used to being, you know, the best at something. And mm. so I, I sort of had to overcome that. Uh, and, and, and it took me a long time um, to build the confidence. And, um, you know, I think 
and we, you talk about, you know, having, you know, everything wrapped up in sort of, you know, one skill, you know, and having a lack of confidence. I think by me doing other things and, and you know, obviously we'll talk about by me, ha- me having something away um, from sport as well, that helped with that. When I did have that mm. self-doubt and, and things, I could really just um, switch off and focus on something else rather than if I was fully immersed in j- and just had football and then had nothing else, then I think those times where I had a lot of self-doubt and confidence issues, um, it would have played a lot more over and over in my mind. Um, yeah. So for me, one of the ways I dealt with that was by switching off by having something, um, you know, away from my sport. Um, but then I still, I still had to deal with, with how to uh, learn how to deal with that. And it's probably only um, coming to sort of, you know, five, six years in my career when I started, you know, having a couple of my you know, injuries and major injuries, I had a bit of a mindset shift, which which allowed me to get through those. But then looked at um, the way you approach things differently and about not worrying if you fail at something and actually, you know, trying to extend yourself and, and challenge yourself and, and look into to fail and, and, and things like that because it, you, I knew it was going to actually uh, help me in the long run. But mm. I probably avoided that a bit, you know, um, when, when I was first coming through uh, again because, yeah, you know, I was, you know, I wasn't always the standard at footy, but I'll say, you know, school footy, one of the better. I was good at sort of everything, but then, um, yeah, it was probably when I first came into first grade that sort of fear of what would people think if I had a bad game or missed a tackle or, or things like that. It sounds like um, through Tim Sheens, who was a very highly respected coach and coached Australia as well as the Tigers, um, he might have been a bit of a father figure mentor to you. Was it stuff that you got from Tim? Was it stuff that you got from your own parents that sort of – did you bring up the insecurities that you might have had, the concerns you might have had with them, or were you holding it to yourself? Um, I, su- I probably I chatted through, you know, some of the uh, confidence issues when, when I was down in confidence. Um, probably not in a, a lot of detail. And it was only at certain periods. I wouldn't say it was constant. Um, you know, it was if I had a bad game and then I had a second bad game, it was then that self-doubt creeping in when I was younger and I didn't sort of know how to get myself out of the hole. But, yeah, I think the Tim Sheens was definitely massive. Um, he, he he was really good at nurturing um, younger players coming through. Um I think that was one of his be- best assets. You look at, you know, for, for all the players Tim Sheens has coached um, and the younger guys he has brought through, just what he has um, brought to them, not only as, you know, people, but as football players and, and how much. And if you look at now, the I think he'd probably be the coach that has basically groomed the most coaches. And if you look at all the yeah. people he's coached, and everyone talks about the Canberra days, but you start to look at now the West Tigers, but who he's coached now, you know, Toddy Payton, Johnny Morris, who are now coming in first grade coaches, you know, like you got, you know, Brett Hodson, now assistant coach. you got so many guys that he coached now at the Tigers. And so he just know he he's so smart and brings you up to, to understand the game. So, uh, and not not just about skill, but all facets of the, of the game. So he, he was massive for me and my dad too. He was, um, you know, he was a massive role model for me. Um, he was the one probably kept my feet on the ground early on in my career. Uh you know, when it could have been very easy for me to get ahead of myself as a 17-year-old kid and uh, playing first grade. But um, he, he always reminded me to that, you know, things change very quickly and, you know, career could end at any time. So make sure he, he was probably one of the reasons why I started having a focus away from uh, sport, to be honest, because of that, you know, when I debuted at high school, uh, in high school, and, you know, the first thing he said, literally, sorry, not the first thing he said was congrats, I'm very proud of you. Second thing he said was, uh, just remember, you still got an English exam tomorrow, <laughs> so don't waste all the hard work you put in. So it was like, and this li- this is literally after the game. So for me, that was always 
kept my foot ground and go, yep, okay, I, I know, yeah, this is footy, but I need to have something else. And that was literally straight away probably set me and put me in the right mindset to ensure that, yeah, I need to have something away from um, from sport um, straight away, which is, I've been a massive help, but I think that's, that's allowed me to have 15 years. I wouldn't have, wouldn't have been playing for 15 years or, you know, got through some of the setbacks if I didn't have something away from sport and, and through that example that my, my old man said early on. Yeah. So that, that's interesting because when he says you need something else, you actually had something else as well. Mm. You know, you, 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 you didn't just get to year 12 and go, oh, actually, I'm all right at this school stuff. You'd have yeah. realised you... I'm curious about um, a lot of athletes who might not. So they literally get to that and they only have you know, yeah. footy, or they only have tennis, or they only have so and then someone like myself or Tim rocks up to a workshop and says, hey, you need you need something else, you know. Yeah. How, uh, what compelling argument can you give to them who, who they currently don't have anything else? They define themselves by their sport. They think parents love them more when they win and less when they lose. How, how can you create a compelling argument for them or anyone who defines themselves by what they do that they need to look broader? I think to change the narrative... The first thing you need to appeal to what what is most important for them. So what most important for and this is doesn't have to be rugby league. Any athlete they want to perform at their best. So if you say if you have something away from your sport, education, a passion, community work, what it may be, you will perform better in your sport. And if you prove that to them, then people start to take notice. And, and that's a, a lot of you know what I'm doing. And, and obviously we'll probably go into that soon. But that that's what you know I did, and, and I started to realise that. When I did have those self, that self-doubt, when I was injured, when I was down on form, when I had contract issues, when I had the things that, you know, you, you ride the roller coaster of elite sport, I could then literally leave training. So, uh, perfect example, I could go on a Monday morning and um, I play against, I could have a shocker on a Sunday afternoon, miss three tackles, let, it, you know, let in three tries, come and get absolutely sprayed in um, the, the Monday afternoon meeting and just hate it because, you know, you know you let your teammates down. The coaches are spraying you. I'd walk out, walk, go home, or, or go to you know an office or, or whatever. Start studying, or you know whether it's my business or my study. Get a small win there, and so instantly my, my moods change. By Tuesday morning, I'm coming in and I've forgotten about the game. Mm. Whereas so many guys would carry that with them the whole week, mm. and then that affects the following week and the following. And and so for me, that's I just re- really think that's what made me sort of over time um, play consistently and, and play at a consistent level uh, because I could, you know, I, I took away all the things that um, get you on the roller coaster of sport um, and, and, you know, allow you to have, um, I suppose, that consistent performance and, and allow, allow you to play longer because, you know, I, I know a lot of guys and, and, you know, in the work that we, uh, I do with my business, if you, if you chat to athletes and say you need to have something because you never know when your career could end. And even and even at that stage, you know, when when I was young too, that was, you know, my, my dad did say that to me, and I was like, oh yeah, okay, yeah, I need to study. But then I kept at it because I was thrown oh, again. I'm a nickname rowdy because I didn't really talk a lot, but I was was an introvert. So I've gone overnight from knowing knowing no one knowing me to back page of the paper. Um, so I was very uncomfortable with all the, all the attention. So mm-hmm. I use studying from a HSC as a way to escape that. So yeah, I you know did it initially. Dad you know said that you got to keep doing it, but then I found oh it was a good escape from thinking about the attention, and then and then I played well the back end of that year. Then I 
then I just became a good way to escape that and then I found it as a good outlet mm. um, and then so for me just actually getting the benefit of that I thought you know I'm just going to keep doing something the rest of my career having something and just finding okay what am I enjoying what am I passionate passionate about is it you know my, uh, starting a business is it um, you know my education so you know we talk to athletes now and we say yeah uh, you got to have something away from sport but like I did if you're especially you know, I was 17, but guys might be 21, 22, have just signed a five-year contract. They're like, oh, I've, got a, I've got years. I'll think about it yeah. five years' time. I don't need to think about it now. So when you're saying how do we get guys to think about it, change a narrative, go, okay, well, if you want to get to the next level in your game, you need to have something else because it's going to improve your performance. Yeah, yeah really interesting because you, you said there that a training injury, a game injury, it can all be over like that which you probably don't believe, you know, when you're young and you're bulletproof, you're not thinking along those lines. Um, so it's a hard thing to get across to people, but you are absolutely living proof as much as anyone's ever been that things can go seriously wrong. Um, so you've had two really big uh, incidents that most of us know about. One, you know, where you dislocated your hip, um, which from what I've heard took five or six doctors uh, to put it back into position uh, and then you obviously had this uh, very bad uh, clash with another player, face injury at training um, just last year I think uh, and recovering from that. I'm not sure how much you want to go into either of those things but under sort of the banner of resilience here, you, you're living proof that things can go very wrong um, unexpectedly and your mindset can play a big role in how you recover from that and whether you get back out there again and tell us a bit about those experiences as much as you're happy to and, yeah. and what you have sort of took to that. Yeah, uh, look, I think, and as I sort of sp spoke about before, um, I think when I was younger, um, I had a, you know, a lot of, you know, a bit of self-doubt and confidence issues. And as I said, it didn't probably, it wasn't until that hip injury where I, I had to adopt, a, a or I had to change my mindset if, if I was to overcome that. Uh, and uh, with, with that hip injury, um, there was a lot of uncertainty. So I, I basically was told that I, I wouldn't know because my hip was out of soccer for, for longer than two and a half hours I wouldn't know if um, I would need a hip replacement um, because it, I could have lost blood flow um, long term to the leg so I may need hip replacement but I wouldn't know that for three months so th there was uncertainty and things so out of your control and like as humans we struggle when things are out of our control and you know it, it plays in our mind so I, I struggled for out a week with that um, you know a lot of you know, negative thoughts you know self-doubt everything going through my head again because I was literally five months earlier I'd made my test debut for Australia and then this is happening so um, for me I sat down with my physio at the time and I and I was like well what's got me to where I am today and that's just by being really focused and having really a really clear direction about where I'm going so I just said to him what's the quickest anyone's ever come back from a, um, <laughs> a hip dislocation and he just tossed out oh, 90 days and I said oh, I'll come back or oh, three months I said oh, I'll come back and play in 90 days he goes mate like I'm just giving you a number like it's you know it's, you're probably going to be out for the year and I said look just put together a plan or, or, or a rehab plan for 90 days and then I just need to have targets that I've got to hit so that I because if, if I'm just going to training every day and know my year's over I said I know I'm going to get a really negative mind space because I've got to wait three months to find out if my career's over mm -hmm. so so at least this gives me something to focus on you know taking away and, and and I said look if I don't meet the 90 days or you know if I fail if I don't get back this this year then so at least I can have a crack at least I put an effort in so that then started for me changing my mindset to, to not be afraid 
to extend myself and, and really challenge myself. If, and if I fail, well, I can say, well, I did everything possible and I might learn a good lesson from it. So, um, yeah, with that injury, I literally, I knew what day, I knew oh, oh, day 15 I had to do this, day 27 I could do this. So I had a little target. So I kn- literally knew what day I was up to. And then, then that got me, that fast track, and basically got me back. So I um I, I played. I think I, play, I think I played after it was ninety five days after. Wow. So didn't make my target, but <laughs> there, I think there was a buy in there. So I'll just <laughs> I'll say I probably would have played if it um, wasn't for the buy. Yeah. Um, so that sort of taught me that taught me a really good lesson. And then unfortunately, sort of the next two or three years after that, had a lot of just little injuries. I had like three or four hamstrings, ankles. So nothing major, major, but consistent injuries like for the next three years. So, um. Uh, for me, I just go, okay, well, that worked for this injury. I'm just going to play just the same process, same process. So that got me back every single time. Um, so that really helped me. And then um, obviously um, then coming to, you know, my facial injury. And that was just, again, with the hip injury, it was just quite a unique injury like into a car accident. And then um, coming to my facial injury, it's sort of the same things. As soon as I did it, I, I thought I knew it was I knew it was bad. I didn't realize how how bad it was. I'd broken my jaw before, so I thought it was my jaw initially, and then sort of sat there. It was just a head clash at training in New Zealand at the time, um, and and I sort of sat there, and it was two days before our first trial, and the first thought was going into my head. I was like, oh, I've gone through. I, I knew I'd go. I knew I'm going to miss the first game and trial. And in my head, I'm like, I've just gone through four months of getting flogged in pre-season. I'm not going to even play for the mm-hmm. first couple of like, weeks. And that was like split second thinking that. And then I'm like, oh, no, I'm off contract now. Like, um, and all these thoughts start racing through your head. Um, in the know, moment. In the moment. This yeah. before, basically. And <laughs> even with the hip injury, mm. it's funny when things happen like that, those injuries, things happen in a game. And it's funny how quickly your, your thought process and how many things yeah. you think of in a split second. Mm. So I reckon it, it, with hip hip injury, before the physio had even came out, I I'd thought of, I go, I've dislocated my hip. I know I'm going to miss a grand final this year because Tigers top four the year four. We had a really really good side. I'm like, I'm going to miss a grand final. I, I'm not going to play rep footy this year. Will I play next year? I probably five or six different thought before, and that was before, within five ten seconds. Yeah. Same yeah. with the facial injury. All these just racing thoughts straight away. Um. So yeah, you had the. Had the class and then I sort of lay there. And within a minute or two, um, I just I knew it was bad because then I started feeling basically felt my whole face caved in, felt felt my cheekbones, my nose, and then then I sort of all the blood was r- rushing down the back of my throat, so I couldn't really talk, couldn't really breathe, but I could see all the the boys' reaction and mm. they look and I I knew it was bad by their reaction, mm. so I'm like oh f- like this is this isn't good, um, so I sat there and. Uh, in a bit of pain and tried to get um, the uh, the physio at the time. I was like, I need some, need some, you know. Um, tried to say, yeah, green whistle. Tried to, yeah. you know, or something. Um, and because we we're in New Zealand, there was no no doctor, no ambulance there. So I had ring, ring, rang the ambulance, sat there waiting for 10, 15 minutes, and um, the physio was like, yeah, I'll be here soon, be here soon. And then eventually, the physio just said to me, oh, look, mate, I'm gonna be honest with you, I have no idea how long this can be. You could be here for a couple of hours. So I was like, I bit, there was a lot, literally a moment there where I was like, I'm in trouble here because I was all the blood's rushing down the back of my throat, couldn't breathe. I thought if I, um, if I start to panic and, and don't calm myself down, then you know I could choke and it would go. If I stop breathing, I no one can help me. I'm, no one's here got the tools to help me. So I literally just had to just focus on breathing in in and out of my nose mm. and just sat there for like another 45 minutes until the um, until the ambulance came. So 
got got through that period, um, which is all right. But and it was a bit like deja vu. It was like getting to the hospital, and even though it was different from the hip, but it was like, all right, we um, we can't really tell you much. It's a you've broken every bone, so we can't. I just thought, oh, you go. I'd, I thought I'd go in, I'd go straight into surgery. They plate it up, and I'd be right. They're like, no, 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 no. Like we can't touch it now. You're too swollen. Uh, you got to wait, but we don't know what you can do. We don't know how long you'll be out. We don't know if you like. It was just all these unknowns. So, um, or, or the next few days were tough, but then it was it was basically like, well, I've been through this before in, in a different setting, so I sort of n- knew I had the mindset or the strategies that I learnt and adopted. I'm like, I just got to do the same thing. I'll just op- adopt the same mindset strategies, um, and that got me through because it's all unknown, things out of my control. I'm like, well, I can't focus on that. Like, it, what's done? Off? What can I focus on? Um, and I, I don't believe, so I don't, I don't think I would have got through that this facial injury if I had hadn't gone through the hip. So the hip taught me mm. how to get through this larger injury. So, mm. and resilience seems to be like that, right? It it builds, and makes you more capable of dealing with issues. But also, you've had some you had some really specific strategies that I'm hearing there around goal setting that has really helped you. Small steps. Um, you know, maybe a degree of catastrophizing at the beginning of this and understandably, you know, I've heard Benji Marshall interviewed about your face injury saying he cried, you know, while he was sitting there with you. It, it was so horrifying. Um, but the sort of the goal setting that you've done has really allowed you to move forward with this. And then, you know, other people talk about this idea of benefit finding as well, seeing some of the positives. Did you, were you in that sort of situation where you started, you've obviously had a lot of very quick thought processes about some of the negatives did you move into that sort of realm of benefit finding as well? Like, what are some of the pluses of this? Yeah, it definitely is. Probably, there's probably two things to that. So, when sort of, again, now back in my career, especially after coming back from the facial injury, like I have so many people going, oh, and you're, you're such a resilient person, resilience this, resilience that. And, mm. and I literally, so for me, and, and it's something that, you know, within the work I do with my business and, and being able to be able to present and tell my story, I say that for me, the, the, the best definition of resilience that for me is someone who had to extend beyond their normal capabilities when they had to. Mm. Everyone's resilient, but when we're tested and we, uh, when we are extended beyond my norm, you know, normal capabilities, you just learn to do it. Um, it's like any before. Again, I, I had you know troubles you know with confidence, self doubt. I wouldn't say that you know you wouldn't have classified me as a resilient person before say my hip injury but i just had to learn how to do it or, you know i had to learn how to do it and then through everything i learned um i just learned less and then when you talked about that benefit fighting it was probably a couple of years after that hip injury that then i you know started and for me um and again i suppose because my mindset of having something away from um from sport that helped me to take my mind off everything but then i'm always curious about learning so uh, and improving myself and growing so i i did delve a lot into how to improve my mindset, how to, um, you know, be able to bend myself, you know, after setbacks. And then for me, uh, starting to look back and reflect on, you know, the positive message and the wisdom out of adversity. And then by really identifying that, and in the moment it's very hard. And, and if I did that, say, during my hip injury, I would have said, no, there's no positive message here. But mm-hmm. then looking into it and I go, well, the positive message is that I've actually sh- uh, shifted my mindset. Like I now... I'm happy to like you, I'm happy to chase after challenges and not worried if I fail, not not be scared of failure, not um, about and wouldn't care what people think. Uh, and, and I'm to be honest, I'm pretty pretty lucky because when I first came through, I mean, we talk about being for me, I had like a fear of other people's opinions. Social media was only just starting mm-hmm. to come in. Like if I was 
if I was coming through now, that first couple of years, like I would have been one of those guys, which a lot of players are. Mm. Straight after at, the game. Looking at every single comment. Yeah. Whereas by the time social media c- had come in, I'd had that mindset that I don't really care what people think or say about me. There's a certain, uh, only a certain few people that I value their opinions and I'll take their criticism or the feedback on board. So mm. I sort of, I'm like, well, the positive message in this hip injury in, in reflection a couple of years later is that I've now got the mindset strategies that I don't really... The, all the injuries I'm sort of suffering now, you know, I was going through contract issues, the club trying to get rid of me because I was always injured and, you know, people bagging me, but it wasn't affecting me, you know. Like, you know, obviously the more you see it, you, you still, there's a little bit, oh, yeah. But then it's like, oh, well, that doesn't matter. It's just an awareness and stepping away. And I then thought, well, that's a positive message, you know. And in every step back we're going to go forward, you know, you've got to try and find that positive message. So, Again, in the it, when it's happening right now, so that day, first day or two with the facial injury, it's pretty pretty hard to see what that positive <laughs> message was. But yeah. look, even in a couple of days later, like I sort of thought, well, again, it's done. What's the what is the the, the value I can take out of this? I'm like, well, and there was, you know, there's a few things for me, uh, and again, and it probably goes into well, the value I can take out of this is that I can really adopt and apply all the things that I've learned in my previous set, mm. setbacks to this really unique challenge and if i come back from this then it's going to show that people that you can overcome anything um but again it's and for me understanding that the value in it but for me it was understanding well to do this and to have that drive and every single day i have to really understand you know i have to know what that drive and motivation is and that was then probably the the last lesson i had to learn about you know being resilient that you need to really know what your motivation is yeah can i i want to dig into something you just said then you knew the club wanted to get rid of you yeah right your words yeah the club wanted to get rid of you you got injuries and we know that it's much harder to get back from an injury right? much easier if you don't get injured yeah so tell me what's what was your motivation to put the work in to get back on the park for a team that you said wanted to get rid of you um well again i was when they first again were trying, they probably there's probably been a couple of instances they tried to get rid of me. Jeez, um, they, they, they tried, but they, they weren't very <laughs> successful. Were they? Um, I didn't realise how resilient you were. I'm not yeah, going anywhere. Uh, I'm not going anywhere. I just yeah, I just park, park me car. Yeah. Not, not, not going anywhere. You can't get rid of me. Um, well, er, earlier on, and I was I was still young um, at the time, and I, right around the time they tried to get rid of me, it was like a couple of years after, you know. Um, they had a lot of issues at salary cap, so I again loved the club, loved the, the boys, you know, extended my contract and took took pay cuts to, to help out the club. So I still had a lot of years in my club on my, uh, on my contract. So I'm like, I'm not just going to walk away from this mm. contract. So, and I still had the belief that you know I had confidence in my ability because I'm like, okay, that mindset. Well, I'm gonna when I didn't think if you said say the start before I discarded my hip that I could get through it and at the end of that year, not only come back that year, but then at the end of the year I played six, five test matches for Australia. Mm. So I just said, you're laughing. So in my head I'm like, when I extend myself, I'm actually capable of more than I think. So I had that confidence, yep, I can get back to where where uh, I want to get to. You know, I just got to do this, this and this and get back to this. So it, I just then had to focus on, yep. And I think the motivation in that instance was, I think, and again, it's I, the big thing I have learned is that, in every situation, every challenge you get through, your motivation is going to be different. So identifying for that specific thing you're going through, what is your motivation? For me, that I think it was about, and I, was, I didn't have a young family then. Um, I was, I think, I was just around the time I was getting married, but it was more. I was still young, 
But I was like, no, nah, my motivation was proving people wrong. Mm. So I want to prove people wrong. So that was my motivation sort of back then. And But then obviously everything, you know, as you go through and, um, you know, y- your situation changes, your motivations change. Yeah. And did you have to consciously put aside the, the, the personal aspect of it? Because... I'm just thinking of you know people listening to this who could be working in a in a school or could be working in a business and they kind of they've got the feeling that the boss doesn't really want them there, and rather than go well I'm going to prove you wrong they go well stuff you, I'm just going to sit here, you know come and do no more than re- that's required. I'm wondering the difference between someone and there's lots of people like that people yeah. if if you're not that person you know someone who is that person you yeah, know definitely. what's the difference between that person. And the choices they make versus the choices you must have made, whether it's consciously or not, you must have made a choice to put aside the personal yeah. aspect of that and and focus on the professional. Well, I think because I thought, well, particularly say from a sporting aspect, you've got a limited time here, so I, I want to be the best player and the best. I want to basically give everything to it while I can. Mm. And then again, and when I talk about how I learned things, that mindset shift shift to go well. You know, I'm not saying I might have been like that prior to that, and um, yeah, and try and shy away from challenges. But I thought, well, I'm going to give it everything, and whatever happens, happens. You know, like mm-hmm. I, I don't want to sit here and go, well, you know, that's you know, stuff them, you know, and and I'm going to walk away. I thought, well, I'm going going to try and improve every single day, get over my injuries, try and be the best player I can be, and they still want to get rid of me, and I find, have no club, and I'm not. Well, I walk away, head mm-hmm. held high. Um, and be fine with that. And I think for me, I just having that mindset of always trying to be your best. Mm. Uh, and I think it's something you can apply. You don't have to be a sports person. I think yeah. that's that pride in trying to be your best. Mm. For me, if I, I don't think I'd be able to look at myself in the mirror if I was like, you know what, I cut corners because mm. I use an ex- them as an excuse. Um, it was actually, it remind, that reminded me of a really good um, sort of analogy that uh, a good friend of mine who does a lot of motiv- motivational sp- uh, speaking said. It's about these two um, these two twins. Um, so they, you know, they had an alcoholic father and then so they were getting interviewed by someone and so the, the first twin uh, was an al- alcoholic himself, you know, struggling, you know, had no direction to life, alcoholic. And I said, why, why are you um, uh, an alcoholic? And he said, because my father was. And the other twin, very successful, very driven, never touched a drop of alcohol. And they said, why are you the way you are? And he goes, because my fa- father's an alcoholic. Mm. So for me, it's the same situation as how the mindset and how you react to it. So, mm. you know, you can have the same thing. And as you said, two different ways to react. And I didn't want to be that one who used that as an excuse. Mm. I want to use it as a motivation. Yeah. So it's one thing to hear you talking about the way you applied yourself, but I have it on very good authority. I know of a few people you've played with, and they they tell me that you are the most professional person they've played with, and your attention to detail was just meticulous. When when you hear that back from your peers, d- did you actually know that you were doing that, or again was that just who you were, or were you intentional about going saying, well, you know, what do I do so I'm better this season than last? What do I do, you know, with their elements? Did you seek out? alternative ideas did you approach your mental side of the game more so or you know what were some of the things that you were, were yeah, doing more so I than think perhaps it, others oh, i think it was a bit of everything i think i had a bit of that mentality um before i came to first grade uh in, in terms of getting better as a player i used to try to you know look up to people 
um, you know, that, that I really uh, admired playing at times. So the couple of like Brad Fittler and I was, you know, playing centre, you know, in my sort of under 17s, 18s um, years. And so Mark Gaznia, so mm. two people I sort of love to watch. And so I would then watch their game and try to practice different aspects of the game. So I sort of, that started then me at the end of training at um, playing sort of under 17s, 18s, I used to stay back and just do extras. Mm. And, and then... For me, it was more because I got so again that 06, 2006 year. It was I got it literally instant results. I've gone from under 18s. I felt like in my mind, I felt like that was the reason I played first grade. Mm. So it was like, well, I need to I need to do extra. I need to always do extras. What's what can I do to be better? So each and every week, I literally had the just the mindset that I had to find something. Just again, it, the the concept of the one percenters. I had to find something be to do every single week and then um w- when i was you know when i was younger it was obviously say if i had a bad game so if i um, missed a couple of tackles let, let tries in so that week it was extra one-on-one defense just go how do i you know what do i need to do what was it there as i made i'm you know extras in that and then it might be okay well i need to improve my hands or my footwork and um or it might just be literally i and sometimes it was to tick a box, but I'm like, I want to make sure that each and every week I'm trying to improve my fitness. So I made sure I did at least five minutes of extra fitness, whether that's on, you know, cardio or um, running. And you know what? And it probably made no difference. But for me, mentally, that ticked a box that I had, when we talk about confidence, I went into a game going, yep, I've done everything I can. Yeah. Like I, you know, I've, I've, I've done everything I can. And, um, and again, it was more the, by doing those, you know, by being professional and ticking those boxes, mm. It was doing, and even though sometimes, uh, and it, you talk about it, even say recovery and ice baths, where I'm like, I don't want to do this, and uh, you know, pro- it's probably not even doing anything. But I'm like, I can at least go into a, go into a game with the confidence, not that little bit of doubt. Go, oh, well, if I've had a bad game, was it because of yeah. was it because I didn't do that? And uh, I had a couple of beers last weekend when perhaps I shouldn't have, or yeah. whatever. Yeah, all those little yeah. things. Yeah. Well, I, I did enjoy a beer on the weekend, but, but <laughs> I, yeah, I, but you earned it. If, if I if I had a beer on the weekend with the boys, I literally that was the one. The the first session back, it was like, no, nah, I have to get my fitness, my extra fitness done. Whatever the first day of training was back, I was like, no, nah, you have a beer, but you got to work it off. Yeah. I was like, yeah. which is, but and I got a lot of that too from the guys coming through. Like guys looked up to, um, you know, Chris Hyington comes through. He he was really big on teaching me how to be professional like mm. he used to every single week uh, he used to have a routine um of doing an extra swim session extra l- sort of lung buster session um to help his fitness and to help his breathing and it was again a tick the box thing for him um i'd royce simmons um who, who was a coach with tim sheens and he was always his, his one thing was he would get up on his day off every morning at uh, i think it was like 6 a.m and either go for a run or go for a swim so he goes you have to get comfortable with being uncomfortable mm. So I sort of had a lot of different people that had their own little things that they did every single week just to be comfortable yeah. with being uncomfortable or by just trying to, you know, find little ways to be get, um, get yeah. better every week. So I sort of had a lot of people I could lean on and that sort of, I suppose, just set me up. And I, and I got a, a routine and started playing good footy. So I'm like, okay, well, this is what you yeah. have to do to, to, to make it. Yeah, it's interesting because um, hearing you mention the ice baths there and being comfortable with being uncomfortable, I know you're a cold shower man. Is that right? That is right. That uh, is right. Is, is that is that about building resilience? Is you've that done your research there, mate. Uh, hey, I don't want to know how you've well, done your research. Have you been watching me in the shower? <laughs> 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 I have to close those windows. Yeah, yeah exactly. 
Uh, it, it, it's true. You're a cold shower man. Is that right? Yeah, definitely. Why? Yeah, yeah why? That sounds ridiculous. Why? why? Well, <laughs> I sort of, again, looking at how ways I can get better, always trying to improve myself and learn and grow. I got... Um, uh, I met a guy um, through through a mutual fr- a friend who um, did a lot. It was a Wim Hof um, sort of practitioner, and mm. he actually came and did a, a Wim Hof um, sort of session, breathing session, ice bath session over New Zealand about three days before I got injured. Mm. So I actually went and played golf. Half the boys went and played golf, half did that session. So I wanted to do both. So I went and played golf and came back and did um, the back end session. So I'd met him before and, and he had sort of introduced me to some, some of the stuff, but hadn't really done one of the full sessions. So then did the session, did the ice baths and breathing. Didn't really understand the science behind it, but then three days later had the injury. Then again, basically had to breathe through my nose and, and this and that just to get through. So I wouldn't choke on my own blood. And it was only a couple sort of, uh, it was probably about a month or six weeks later, once I had the surgery and then I was coming back from my facial injury and then I started chatting to him and then about what I was going through. And he goes, and he started talking about the science behind, he goes, you know, by you breathing through your nose, you're actually swapped to the parasympathetic nervous system and basically said you got out of a fight or flight into a rest and digest and you actually influenced that and that probably calmed your body down. Went to the science behind it and he goes, because you did the ice baths a couple of days later you, and you breathed through that, your stress threshold might have increased by just a little bit that probably helped you through that as well. And, and I was like, oh, okay. And I started thinking about it. I'm like, so this could have potentially saved my life, really. So I said, okay, well, what else can I do? And then how can I – and, again, I'm looking at ways that coming back from, you know, my facial injury, what can help me to get back? And and, um, and then I thought, well, I'll, I'll try and do the, the, the cold showers. Um, mm-hmm. That was the easiest way. Um, we had uh, the ice baths of training, but, um, you know, something we could do every day. It's just a challenge. I thought I'm going to – something that, you know, again, at that point in time – I couldn't really do much with my face through injury. I was injured, like, you know, my fa- I couldn't train for the first sort of eight weeks. There's a lot of it out of my control. So I was like, okay, well, I'm going to try and do something different. And that's mm. in my control. So just trying to, again, raise that stress threshold, being able to have control, um, reduce stress um, and when I'm going through tough. And I, and I found that help immensely. And you just feel great when you come out of a cold shower. Um, so now I've been doing that ever since now. So morning yeah. showers are just full cold. I still. Middle of winter, I won't say I enjoy. I enjoy. In, I don't enjoy, yeah. enjoy them, but I know the benefit. I know how good I feel afterwards. So I I got, there's no, ex, there's no excuse. I'll tell you how. I'm pro- going to give it a go. Uh, I bet you don't. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll tell you how professional I am, Dan Hasler. Yeah. I actually had a cold shower this morning in preparation, in preparation for this interview because I had heard this about yeah. Chris. But the reason uh, Chris is actually sitting here today is because a neighbour of mine is your mad mate, Russell Packer. Yeah. Um, he loves it way more than me. He <laughs> totally loves it. And he, he he came up one afternoon because you guys had just come back from New Zealand with Nigel, yeah? The, yeah, the yeah, guy Nigel, did. yeah. And he said, this bloke Nigel's coming down to my place tonight and he's bringing an ice bath, come down. And I said, are you mad? I'm doing an ice bath. I'm not a professional footballer. Um, anyway, so ended up down there and met Nigel and did the ice bath and uh, Russell's given me my own ice bath now so uh, <laughs> this is something we do occasionally but it's it's an incredible way of helping develop your your confidence that you can get through smaller things as well I think you know because this is you know these ice baths you're not mucking around this is at no, zero oh. degrees for 10 or 20 minutes and it's oh. uh it's um but it's, it's like anything it's sort of train your body you train your nervous system to, to handle it so mm. and again w- when i sort of started under because i've been doing ice baths for recovery for so yeah. many years and you think oh inflammation legs but then when i looked at okay what's a different way to approach it and how can this help me and then 
Um, again, Nigel explaining it, uses it as the best thing, goes, basically, you know, your body triggers a, a stress response. It's like the smoke alarm in your body. So mm. he said, we need to find ways to basically raise that threshold. So rather than y- your smoke alarm going off just because you burnt the toast at home, mm. you want it only going off when the house on fire. Mm. Yeah. So you, you don't want it going off every, every five minutes of a day because then that's when you get nice f- analogy. F- fatigued, stressed, everything like that. So for me, it's like, well, how can you do it? And that's... It, it's about gradual exposure to stress and easiest way to do that is cold showers or ice baths yeah. so, um, cold immersion so yeah Russell's mad like he, he literally zero degrees Russell's he, mad full stop <laughs> yeah full next stop. sentence <laughs> but, but like 20 30 minutes uh, 20 it'll be 20 or 30 minutes in a zero degree ice bath so yeah. like I've um, and I, I like it and again I don't do them um, as often as uh, as Russ does and I definitely couldn't um, okay, you know, I, I won't say I definitely couldn't because, you know, again, with practice and trying, you know, mm. but, you know, seeing how long he stays in there for. But again, it's a it's a stress threshold thing. It's mm. um, it's something that, you know, you, you learn and you get through it and you're like, you know what, the little things um, that used to stress you don't stress you as much. Mm. Can I just ask one more question just on that and your daughter, in fact, um, before we move to talk about your business, um, which I think everyone's going to be very interested in. So you've got a little girl. Yep. Um, Obviously, you want her to be a resilient character. Your yep. wife's a primary school teacher. We yep. know that because she used to be one of my students at university. Yep, that's right. Um, but f- for for your little girl, how obviously you don't want her to go through dislocated hips and smashed <laughs> up faces to develop her yeah. resilience. Um, nor does Cat probably want you to put her through cold showers or ice baths. No. Um, but what 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 do you think about doing? Have you thought about doing stuff with your little girl? How do you? How do you raise her stress threshold? Look, it's actually funny because it's, it's a conversation I've had, um, you know, with my wife because she's, you know, my, my daughter's very active and always climbing things and doing, you know, doing different things and, you know, as parents do, oh, no, don't do that, you know, stop, you know. And I'm like, no, you know, if she falls down, she falls down. Like, then, like, it's, a, you know, and I'm like, in my head, I'm like, she has to have some type of, you know, adverse, like a bit of, you know, yeah. she'll learn from it. And... My wife, Catherine's like, don't say that. You say you want to hurt our child. <laughs> I'm like, no, 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 no. I'm like, I don't. Do that. You're fighting a strong maternal instinct. Yeah. So, okay. but it's because I, I have that same sort of conversation in my head. I'm like, if she doesn't have any setbacks, and and and, and I had a conversation with someone recently about you look at um, how say in a sporting sense and, and through the juniors how say that no one, um, I think particularly in, in junior rugby league and soccer now they don't keep score until under 12s and something like that so you're getting kids who don't le- learn to handle setbacks fa- failures and things until they're 13 and then they switch and then they've got to deal with it in high school and th- yeah they're, they're not equipped to handle it and and again they've got a lot of pressure now with social media they, they've got so many different pressures so it is it is a massive thing and and it's I, I don't know. It's something that I have ha- had a good think about. What is the best way to do that with obviously not not harming and mm. not trying to, um, I suppose, um, scar your kids yeah. <laughs> long term, but, you know, try to expose them to failure, try to expose them to things that are going to be challenging and then and they're going to struggle with so they, they can, you know, learn from them because, um, yeah, I, I don't think – I think the, one of the reasons why a lot of kids aren't resilient is because – um, they aren't exposed to anything like that, a- and that includes being told no. That includes being, mm. um, I suppose, being told you know, failing and, and losing and and being okay with that and not being able to handle that sort of that those setbacks. So, having yeah. disagreements with the mates, you know, I think yeah. school days present lots of opportunities. You know, but not but uh, you know, a lot of the time we think 
we have to fix it for them. Yeah. I'll go and chat to their dad and we'll sort that out, mate. Or I'll go and speak to your teacher, mm. I'll sort that out. And it's like, well, maybe not. Maybe just have a chat with the kid. What can you do to sort mm. that out? You know, yeah. Obviously, it's age dependent. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, even, I mean, your, your daughter's very young and just even those, it's those little incremental things, isn't it? Yeah, well, you know, what happens if she does fall off the lounge, you know? And obviously we're going to do it in the most controlled and safe way, safe way that's going to save your marriage yeah. as opposed yeah. to yeah. what you want to do is just push her yeah. off and see how <laughs> she goes. What's she going to do? Break no. every bone in her face? <laughs> <laughs> that's right. How bad could it be? Dad broke more. <laughs> <laughs> um, can you tell us a bit about One Wellbeing? Um, tell us... Your motivation for doing it, um, I know that you've worked with hundreds of sports people already and really helped bring them into the world of education and following their passions and, and discovering who they are in order that they can um, have more successful careers, as you've pointed out, but also you've got a real focus on helping elite athletes into their retirement years now as well. Um, yeah, tell, so tell us about it. So it probably started, um, and I started sort of a couple of different businesses, but then sort of, you know, one wellbeing in, in 2013. And a lot of that, you know, um, was off the back of, um, again, there's some of the experiences I had um, with education uh, in university, failed at sort of my first go at university and just thought it was no, it didn't, wasn't the right fit and um, thought there's got to be a better way. Uh, and how can we try and, provide um, an education that's suited for athletes. So I started um, delivering the Cert 3 and 4 in fitness for um, for elite athletes in, in 2013. Um, and, and that was basically not because we, we wanted to, um, I suppose, me and my business partner, not, not, we didn't want to, you know, make all these personal trainers. But for me, I went after my failed uni attempt, went and did my Cert 3 and 4 in fitness. That gave me the confidence that to then get back into education and then went and did an online commerce degree so we thought well for, for those athletes who have had bad experiences at school or don't aren't confident in learning what's the most relatable thing fitness so for an athlete they know fitness they live it day to day so it's the most relatable thing to help them get confidence in learning so they can uh, progress into any area if they want to go down that fitness industry great if not at least they can move on to something else so that sort of the, the side of the business grew and um, and sort of while that side grew, then I was getting opportunities to, again, use my experience um, and, and deliver, you know, um, corporate health and wellbeing programs um, in, in the corporate space. And um, sort of in, in talking about sort of that side first, that sort of started to grow and um, th it was ha having some success and, and other sort of in other areas um, wasn't sort of growing. And, and it was only until after then my hip, uh, sorry, not my hip, my, my facial injury where, well, I, I thought my sort of career was over. I thought, well, I'm going to give everything I can to come back, but I could be told I can't play again. So um, I thought, well, I need to really look at what I'm doing. One, where can I have the most impact and influence and what am I passionate about? And within that within that corporate space, and I sort of stripped, about, stripped back everything we were doing and thought, well, for me, being able to provide my expertise, you know, through workshops, keynote presentations, coaching, mentoring around mindset, resilience and providing that framework to, to overcome setbacks and, and adversity um, was where I can have an impact. So then the last 18 months, that arm, um, the business has really started to grow and I've been able to start to connect with a lot of different people to, you know, help um, really make an impact and influence on people's lives. And obviously 2020 being quite a unique year and everything that's happened and, um, you know, having people when we talk about resilience with kids you know there have been plenty of adults this year who have been faced with challenges they've never faced and, and don't know how to deal with it so uh, for me you know I have a real passion for just sharing the, the, the framework that I used and that 
you can apply to, to any sort of um, into you know to any situation, any setback. So, um, so that is now into that and has really you know given me a good pay. I've been busy, very busy with that since I've been out of the bubble, and I can actually go and meet people face to face and don't have to do things via Zoom. So that that's been really good. And again, the the other arm, the athlete side, has started growing. So again, we were doing. Um, I think we've now put over five hundred athletes through the Cert Three and Four and Fitness. Uh, and about two, uh, sorry, three, four years ago, we started doing uh, a research report because we thought, well, again, we are, we're doing what we think is the best for athletes based yeah. on pretty, you know, uh, I had pretty intimate knowledge being an athlete myself, but let's get raw data. Let's try and find out and try and find the best way to, to structure education for athletes. You know, what turned into a three-month research report to uh, teach us how to deliver our service better um, basically turned into three years um, we partnered then I uh, got approached by Western Sydney University partnered with them and had it academically published um, in the International Journal of Sport and Society um, which was you know amazing and basically I suppose um, it gave us the confidence that we were we had basically a structure and a program that didn't just have to be um, for you know for the fitness course yes fitness was good because it was uh, building confidence and learning but we wanted to provide you know a range of options it wasn't about you know education it was about having something away from sport so then we started delivering other courses um, the cert for and youth work um, started and then you know going now into this year we, we then uh, try and, and base off some you know even some more research we've done and, and what's happening with the with everything going on in the market it's about well especially with elite sport now how many you know players are coming and going and can't commit it needs to be shorter it needs to pe people don't want to even with say mm -hmm. a vet course or don't want to um, commit to you know you know 24 weeks or to a year let alone a university degree so um, we're starting to create a pathway um, and a platform where um, young players can come in. Uh, you know, we're, gonna, we're calling it the athlete mentor. Going to be launching sort of uh, early in uh, February 21, where um, play, uh, athletes can come in uh, into the athlete mentor. They can be connected with different athlete mentors. Um, be um, they can hear from you know a lot of ex-athletes um, in different workshops about what they've done um, post footy and being successful and get an idea of what area they want to go to before they're committing to something. Then for that next sort of stage will be doing discovery courses, so six-week courses in a number of different areas to find out if you like it. So then if you do these six-week courses, if you don't like it, great, you haven't committed you know, a year, two years of your time, you can then move on to the next bit and find what you really want to do or passionate about, build your confidence in that area and then move into a vet course and then, f then provide par pathways in the university. So um, then hopefully for an athlete, whether they're in two years, four, five, ten years, they can at least have those experiences that they're confident and then doesn't matter what stage their career ends, they can exit going, you know what, I've got a tools that I'm, you know, I can at least survive once I leave. Yeah, and I imagine it, having all of this going on for you, although you're running it for other people, you're essentially running it for yourself as well, probably made your decision to retire at the end of this crazy 2020 a bit easier because, you know, obviously retiring from professional sport is very difficult. You're so passionate about it, but actually having that thing made your call to retire easier and presumably smoother, do you think? Oh, yeah, I think so. I think, well, during the COVID break, uh, we had that six weeks off again, thought, we were getting told that it wasn't looking likely that we were going to come back. So I'm like, oh, well, I'm now probably going to be into um, retired and, and into into work. So I work really hard at sort of setting things up because, um, you know, before that I thought uh, worst case I'd have until, you know, at least November before I'd sort of have to transition. Uh, if, you know, I, I sort of left it open that if I wanted to go again, I'd, try, I'd be open to it. 
Um, but then I sort of re- worked really hard. It was a new challenge for me. Then I came back from um, um, from the COVID break, and I didn't miss I didn't miss it the footy as much as I thought. Um, because there was that new challenge of the business and it was something new and again it was something that it was out of my comfort zone um, I was excited by that um, so that probably made mentally the decision and then it was just about okay well phys- I was like physically I'll see how I go and then yeah just getting my body ready and we're talking about being professional like there's a lot of effort and work day in day out you know early on in my career is about doing the extras about flogging myself week in week out the last three years the extras were extra physio sessions sitting on trigger balls for an hour at home <laughs> foam roll and massage like that was literally just to get my body ready to train so th- it changed what i did but it was still the same concept and it was can i see myself be motivated to do that work because if, if i've cut corners in any sense then it, it'll reflect in my performance and i'm like i can't see myself being able to do this for another 18 12 18 months so that ma- that made the decision easy for me yeah. you were a part of i think the leadership group at one time and probably maybe even without the title for a longer time yep. um what have you learned from being a leader in a footy club that you're going to take into leading a, a business and, and leading a community which i think is what you're really talking yeah. about when you're saying you know th- this movement through through the sport sporting world yeah I, I think for me being a leader doesn't again it doesn't have to be a title it doesn't have to be um always be the one to um i suppose be, be speaking and um be directing people or uh, for me it's about being able to have an impact and influence on someone so it doesn't matter what you're doing within a team within a you know work setting if you can buy your actions if you can have an impact and influence over someone else and their actions behaviors then you're a leader mm. um, and that's positive and negative so it really makes you aware of okay what am i doing that um and again so if, if i even look at my household the things the actions i do affect you know the way my daughter does she sees what i do and she's influenced by that mm. so you know i'm a leader in that house yeah. household so yeah. you know when i'm you know going into and in within my own business my business partner and, and the people that you know work with me and and work work for us that you know how i conduct myself and how i speak and and i have an influence on that so you know that's the in terms of the, the energy i have every day um you know my work ethic make sure I, if i say i'm going to do something i do something um, and again, just being able to, and again, um, working with athletes and, and the people that we you know, deal with in, in a corporate setting that, um, you know, being able to have an impact and influence on them so that they can, you know, ha- have their ba- behaviours change. So for me, that that's that's what a leader is. It's someone, yeah, who can uh, be able to impact and influence someone. We've taken up a lot of your time today, Chris, and I know you've got other things that you've got to go and do. I can't, so. I can't let him go, though. I've oh. actually got a listener question. Oh, I've got yeah. a listener question. Who's the He can sense us, did you? Yeah. This, is, this is from Aaron from Leichhardt. Oh, Aaron, and he was wondering... Oh, the big guy. The big guy, <laughs> the yeah. Big guy. And he was wondering if, he could, if you could just share with us the story of the famous Red Gatorade. Oh, here we go. Oh, you, you'd like this, actually, because this involves, involves my wife. So... Um, so it was actually Chris. So Chris Hyington used to live. Um, we both used to live in the same unit block at Five Dock. Had a really big night one night, and um, Chris's uh, wife Sonia um, was in the car with Catherine, my wife, and so she was. Um, they were driving and were hungover, sitting sitting in the back. We stopped at a servo, and then they go, um, oh, "I'll get you some Gatorades. What do you want?" And yeah, like, "Oh yeah, yeah sweet." I go, "Can you get me a red one?" And she's like, "Oh yeah, sweet." And then so they went in. Came back, she hands me a yellow Gatorade. I go, I go, what's this? She says, what? I go, I asked for red. And she's like, oh, sorry, did you? 
Okay, one job. Like I asked for, <laughs> asked for a Gatorade. That was it. And then like two days later at training, Hino goes, oh, you wouldn't have believed what Rowdy said to his missus. And he told the story, added about 20% GST. And then, yeah. and then she got, got back in the car and he goes, oh, I said red Gatorade. <laughs> so the boys lost it. And um, it's just a running joke from then on in. Ah, uh, Woodsy, good on you. Yeah. Aaron from Leichhardt. Indeed, Aaron from Leichhardt. <laughs> I should say it was also Aaron from Leichhardt who spoke in glowing terms yeah. about your professionalism <laughs> as well. So. Yeah. And where are people going to find out about your business? What's the website, the link? What's your Insta, all that kind of jazz that yeah. people can find so, out more about you? So onewellbeing.com.au or find me, all my social handles are chrislawrence04. So okay. you can find me uh, on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook. Sweet, we'll put all that in the in the show notes. Good on you, Chris. Lovely to have a chat with you today and great to hear your thoughts about all these really um, important topics yeah. around resilience and leadership and, and mindset. Yeah. Awesome, thanks guys. Appreciate yeah. it. Cheers, mate. Good luck. Bye. So there you go, over 250 first grade games and now working with athletes and the corporate sector in order to, I guess, help share some of the things that um, he's learned through that career, playing for the West Tigers, playing for um, Australia. Tim, what stuck out for you there, mate? Yeah, well, as, as I said before, you know, the interview as well, you know, this this idea of learning resilience incrementally by recognising what, what the positive messages and the wisdom that we can take out of uh, adversity for ourselves. I think that's really a smart way to look at, at resilience because we're all resilient to varying degrees, uh, but we can develop our resilience. And I think Chris is a really great and living example of that. How about you, Dan? What was a key takeaway for you? I mean, for me, it's, the, it's that well-worn um, statement, you know, leadership is a behaviour, not a title. Mm. And I think that's one of the reasons, that, you know, this podcast, I say it so often, habits of leadership. It's not titles of leadership. It's not positions of leadership. It's habits. What are you doing every day that influences people? And as Chris alluded to there, you know, some people show up with the intent to influence positively and yeah. others may not. And and But to be sure, they are influencing people. So I guess, you know, if you're listening to this podcast, hopefully, you know, whether it's this episode or any of our previous, you know, in the library, hopefully some of these things are helping create a a little bit of a, whether it's an awareness or or even just affirmations of the things you are doing or need to do in order to show up as as your best self. That's really the aim of these these podcasts. Absolutely. So um, as we mentioned there at at the end of the interview with... um, Chris, um, if you're interested in finding out more about his work, um, all the links there are in the show notes and you can also find um, all his um, contact details and, and whatnot. We're also going to put a great photo of him there, this photo that uh, we came across in our research of uh, Chris the day after his first grade debut when he's back in his school uniform, tie and all, sitting in the uh, in Maccas out yep. near Campbelltown with his mates who were very excited to see the reporters uh, trying to get Chris on the back page of the telly. (laughs) Fantastic. And, of course, if you're interested in um, this show, then there's a fair chance that someone you know would be interested in this show. So please feel free to share this as far and as wide as you can. Also, what we've noticed over the past couple of weeks are people starting to comment on um, wherever you can get your uh, podcasts on iTunes or Spotify or wherever. And it's really great to receive them. It's 
uh, a real nice way of uh, Tim and I realising that one, not only people are listening, but two, they're also finding it useful, which is nice. If you're keen to hear more about the academy that we are, we'll be shortly closing enrolments actually for the first intake. So um, if you're interested in hearing more, then can I suggest you head over to habitsofleadership.com as soon as you finish listening to this podcast and click on the academy page there. If you've got any questions, comments, people you want to hear on the show, you can do that also at habitsofleadership.com. But until next time, thank you very much for listening. Thanks for joining me, Tim. Thanks, Mr. Hesler. And we'll see you next time. Bye.